Welcome to School of Movies. <laughs> Warcraft. For years, our world has been at peace. But something is coming. Our world is dying. If our people are to survive, we must make a home here. If we do not unite, our world will perish. This doesn't need to happen. There is one who may help us. For orcs, there is no other life but war. No, but with the human's help, there could be. Why are you here? To save our people. Can we trust him? They're beasts. They should all be destroyed. Are you sure about that? We'll protect the kingdom. You and I. You side with the humans. Against your own kind. This is suicide. We have no choice. We should attack with full force. Whatever you plan to do, do it now! Protect you. I need no one to protect me. Well then. With me as always is my wife and co-host Night Elf Druid, Sharon Shaw. Hello. With us is Forsaken Warlock, Glenn Watts. Hi there. And I shall be buffing you both up with my sturdy totem as a Pandaren shaman. Now, the film has been in development for many long years, and it's been eagerly awaited by the Warcraft players for even longer. This series was begun with three real-time strategy games released over eight years between 1994 and 2002, evolving into the most successful MMORPG of all time, World of Warcraft, in 2004. And let's not forget Magic the Gathering-style card game Hearthstone in 2014. Uh, this movie is an attempt to deliver to the general public the lore and some of the pertinent recent history of the realm of Azeroth. Effectively, it is a period piece, a prequel of sorts, setting up how things would then be leading up to the events of World of Warcraft. In some ways it succeeds, in others it scores repeated own goals and has been critically mauled in its first few weeks of release. Now, with all three of us, I think we all hope that this would get a sequel to correct these oversights, because by and large... That's what they are, oversights. Unless the marketing push pays off, however, we won't be getting one in the foreseeable future. <clears throat> so let's explore why, as well as what they got right when they were trying to make this film engaging. Right, so we're approaching this in a slightly different way to the average audience because we've played Warcraft quite a lot, right? I mean, Glenn, did you play much back in the day or still play? I didn't really play the first two RTSs. I played a lot of Warcraft 3. And oh, right. I play And I played World of Warcraft from launch until the launch of the Burning Crusade expansion. Right, right. So I'm fairly familiar with that, fairly familiar with the plot from that point of view. And I'm a regular Hearthstone player, so I know a lot of the names and places and so yeah. on. So. That definitely stands you in, in it gets you in good standing. There's quite a lot of sort of like they they mention a lot of words and names and uh, the Biddly Bong and the Thunder Plains of Galugala in this and like the average person who's never played Warcraft is gonna be what nope noob. And uh, you know, for me, I was like, okay, Elwyn, where's that? Oh, that's just another word for Goldshire. Okay, right, yeah, I remember that. You know, if you've played Warcraft before, there's like there's loads of little things in there that you will be gratified with. If you haven't, 
not so much. That's one of the big first problems. Do you, do you guys know Uwe Boll? I mean, yeah, I know Sharon knows Uwe Boll. <laughs> Glenn, you know, I know, who you know his work? I've not had the misfortune to have seen any of his work, but I, I, I know of him. I remember talking about this back when we were doing Digital Cowboys. He made a bid to direct, but was turned away by Blizzard, like he phoned them. <laughs> and uh, apparently uh, they said, we will not sell the movie rights to you, especially not to you. Uh, mainly because he had become known at that point for taking um, licenses for video games on the cheap, turning them into quick tax dodgy type um, uh, projects. Like just you know, sh- he would shit out films, and um, you know that they'd be all be you know low quality, low grade, and he'd you know it would like, he'd, he'd get uh, government grants to do it from from Germany, and um, he is. I would say, like, probably the most prominent figure in making sure that video game movies are at the absolute bottom of, of people's expectations list in terms of quality. Um, I mean, you can't blame it all on him. There have been some legitimate high-profile failures uh, or, or just middling films like Prince of Persia. Uh, but uh, it's, it's significant that there was a lot hanging on this and Angry Birds and Assassin's Creed this year. Is that, you know, or maybe this time. Oh, and then Wretched and Clank as well. You know, maybe this year, maybe this time, we'll finally get some really good video game movies. Discuss. He wasn't the uh, first. He wasn't the only director to um, be attached to the project at one point yep. and then leave. So it was uh, Sam Raimi as well was originally attached to direct. Um, did Raimi? My, Raimi went my, off and did Oz the Great and Powerful instead, and that was horrible. That, was that Blizzard weren't keen on Sam Raimi's script treatment? Oh, right. I think Sam Raimi wanted he want he wanted to do an alliance focused story. Right, that was in, you know, a more traditional fantasy story of good guys and bad guys, and the bad guys wouldn't really get much screen time. And I think Blizzard said, and "That's not the story we're, we're interested in doing." Thank you very much. Thank you for your time. And when Duncan so, Jones came on, he specifically said, "Right, now the bad guys just seem too black, and uh, and the good guys too white. I need to sort of work on this to try and get a bit more shades of grey in there." And uh, um, to a degree, he succeeded. But it does feel actually like a script that's um, that you know existed in several forms beforehand and has gone through several passes, and different mm-hmm. people. Yeah. It it does have a very um, is doctored the word I'm looking for. A uh, cut and shift is sometimes used for this kind of script. Yeah, it it kind of feels like there's significant bits missing. There is, there is talk that there was a large amount of editing done on this one, possibly late on to get the running time down. Apparently it was 40 additional minutes um, which uh, were cut out. And there's talk of, you know, if it does really, really well, maybe there'll be an extended uh, DVD. Uh, I don't necessarily think that those 40 minutes would have saved it. And they would have con- made it for a lot of people a butt-numbing ordeal rather than just two hours. Um It might, however, have uh, deepened some scenarios and uh, answered more questions. It feels like most, if if anything, if that is how much that's gone, it feels like most of that's gone from the first half hour or so, mm. because the opening half hour or so of the movie is ridiculously rapid yeah. and jump, jumps around very, very quickly from place to place and person to person, mm. and then it settles down after that. I, I did read. I did read that when you you said that uh, on the forum. Going back and watching it a second time, that's actually my favourite bit of it. I like <laughs> the brisk pace um, because basically the. The the third act collapses in on itself. Mm-hmm. For, for me, I mean, other people might go right now. This is where it finally finds its feet. Sure. 
I think I, I understand what you mean about seeing it again. That beginning bit was was quite um, would have felt quite pacey. But for me, I've only seen it once. Um, it did feel very much like they just wanted to introduce as many places as they possibly could in a short space of time. And it kind of felt like, OK, so we're going to go here and we're going to do this tiny thing. And then, OK, everybody, now we've got to go to X place. And then everybody gets on the back of a griffin and they go to X place. And then it's like, OK, so now we're here. We're going to exchange two sentences of dialogue. And now we're going to go to this place and find this person. And it, yeah. it, I mean, it did have that feel of um, of sort of starting a quest and you, you have to go to all the different locations to pick up all the special items and, and get all your team together. Um, but it was just so quick that it didn't really feel like they were letting anybody get to grips with the environment, which I thought was a shame because one of the things I think they did incredibly well was the backgrounds, the 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 sort of painting element of the world I was actually really quite impressed with considering that it's I'm only familiar with it from uh, World of Warcraft and a teeny bit from Hearthstone Um, and it kind of felt like the right world which is hard to sell when you've got something so big the places are definitely recognizable as being what they're supposed to be Um, I, I do want to extend to Duncan Jones. You know, he's he's not having a good year. His 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 father died. Um, you know, David Bowie, a, a terrible loss to us all. But to him, he was his dad, and that that's just words cannot comprehend um, what that kind of loss is. And you know, then his Warcraft film comes out, and everybody hates it, and and, and everyone's asking him, "What went wrong, Duncan? What went wrong?" And he's uh, talking about, "Well, I'd really like you know to talk about the next film I'm now doing," and it's 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 clearly dispiriting to, to have this happen um, all in the space of a few months. Um, apparently Bowie got to watch a, uh, a working cut of the film just before he went. So he, you know, he was interested in his son's activities and I'm, I'm going to rip into the film repeatedly throughout this, uh, but I really want to like, it's so hard to separate my feelings about the films. Um, you know, what happens in the film from sounding like I'm attacking the director. Um, I just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm it feels like his hands were tied on a lot of things as well. And this was a big studio film. They had a lot riding on it. So there's only so much he can do with it. At the same time, he also oversaw the script. So a lot of the, a lot of this, you know, these oversights, you know, do have to come uh, be laid at his feet, but I, I will at least say, I feel wretched not being able to say enough nice things about this film. If that makes any sense. Yeah. It's a, uh... It's a liquid I, thing, isn't it? I do respect him, and I love Moon, and I love the source code. Great films, and I'm looking forward to seeing what else he does. Uh, this, you know, was was not his time, and um, I, I was reading an article earlier that was saying, you know, maybe um, we shouldn't be uh, putting these uh, directors of uh, indie sci-fi hits into uh, to, to doing blockbusters. Without them, you're left with McGee, you're left with Michael Bay, <laughs> you're left with the people who worked on effects for Michael Bay previously. There is only one chance that we're going to get good blockbusters, and that's getting people like John Favreau in the seats. You know, ultimately, everyone's got to start somewhere. I think the article was eventually saying, look, you know, Sam Raimi may have ended up doing Spider-Man, but he had a lot of films under his belt before he actually got there. So maybe there is a kernel of truth in that. It did feel like this was a, a property of, that Duncan Jones actually cares about. He's, like, yeah. he, he's a self-confessed fan of, the, of it. Yeah. And possibly that works against it in the sense that He's putting in little nods and things to the fandom and that, that, that would alienate the normal audience. And he's not noticing that he's doing that so much because he doesn't realize yeah. 
potentially? I, well, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that in and of itself. I mean, that's one of the reasons why Favreau does so well with um, uh, with Marvel movies, because he's a comics fan and, and it's something that he is embedded in and he has that background knowledge to be able to put those little nods and winks in. But I think the difficulty comes when you're at the tipping point of that's all you've got to a degree. And, and ultimately... It is a very difficult balance to strike. And I know what you mean, Alex, about not wanting to to lay into to Jones as a director. And ultimately, he had a really hard task here. He was trying to establish a new IP um, in an environment where every other movie at the moment has to be based on something that's come before. Mm. Well, uh, it's... It's a it's a new adaptation, effectively. It's it's as with most blockbusters now. They're, they're all adaptations of books or TV shows or other previous movies. The the new IPs are things like um, San Andreas, and just like, well, what if an earthquake happened? Okay, new new adaptation <laughs> franchise. Oh, actually, no. Here's a new IP: Pacific Rim. Ooh. Now in the hands of the showrunner of Daredevil, not Guillermo del Toro. So. So let's let's run through the uh, events of the film and we can tangent off and talk about the characters as we go and anything that struck us about these scenes as they are. Um, I am going to bring quite a bit of sardonic uh, into this because, you know, just having to explain what happened at these points in the film, there's certain things become head-slappingly annoying when you actually look at it from a slight distance. Um, So we start off with a human and orc fighting and are told that this has been the case for a long time. So, yep, serviceable opening sequence. It takes about one minute. Um, it's a direct reference to the um, intro of Warcraft 3. Sorry, yeah. Oh, right, right. The, the, we, uh, well, it might be one of the trailers for Warcraft 3, which starts with the same setup, a human and an orc, clearly been fighting and are exhausted, mm. pick up the weapons and charge at each other. Then in the Warcraft 3 intro, the comet strikes and the Burning Legion appears and all that sort of stuff. But it's that same setup, essentially. They're copying <laughs> that and saying, look at what we're doing. So that was parodied in the beginning of Mists of Pandaria, where... Um, oh, where the yep. panda intervenes and says, you know, enough of your fighting. I'm neutral. I'm in between. I'll kick both yep. your asses. Um, it's kind of a, it's it's kind of an iconic sort of scene that they've done, and this little nod that start the film to say, yeah, this is definitely you immediately recognise that you're immediately on board as a fan of the games because you know you recognise that as being something you've seen before. But rather than immediately then going to the humans and finding out about what the humans are like, we immediately go to the orcs. And frankly, I could have got through this whole movie not really going to the humans all that much at all. In fact, if I was going to make this, you know, a Warcraft movie, I would have made it a quest movie, but a horde quest movie, giving uh, you know, one character from each of the major races and allowing them to, to uh, bond with each other and argue with each other. And it would be kind of the reverse of Fellowship of the Ring. You know, we've, we've had so many good guy quests. You've got to go and put the thing on the other thing and save the universe. If the, you know, this is your chance to show that the Horde are just as interesting and fascinating and shades of grey as the humans, you know, uh, sorry, the Alliance, which seems to be mostly humans in this film, so that, you know, they're already on the back foot there. I, I've gone through the characters and, like, highlighted in green all the characters that I thought found interesting uh, and uh, um, compelling, and red all the characters that I found tedious or overacting or um, 
just you know did not need to be in the film at all it's almost an even 50 50 split orcs almost all green humans almost all red i didn't realize that until i started doing the highlighting that that was the case but yeah we uh we, we start uh with juratan and his wife draka this is i wonder what people who've not seen this film yet are going to really think from these descriptions they're expecting their first baby and they're justifiably worried because their race is leaving the world of Draenor, which has been conquered by the orcs and ruined by their conquering race. Uh, they're now heading to Azeroth, presumably to ruin that too, all at the behest of an orc sorcerer named Gul'dan, a mad, manifestly evil orc sorcerer named Gul'dan, who deals in unnatural green magic named Fel, which requires the sapping of life forces of other creatures. Draka gives birth on the way through the portal to a little baby orc named Thrall. The orcs have come through the portal between worlds in a small party in order to... And I didn't even realise this until I looked at it. You know, it, I was like, well, okay, so they've come through. Why have they come through? It's to capture more of its inhabitants of, from Azeroth and use their life force to open the gate again and bring, bring through the united orc clans named the Horde. So basically they're a scout party and they've come through to capture people, take their essence like Skeksis, and then let through all their friends so that they can all come through and conquer. That's, the, that's their plan. <sighs> Thoughts on this early part of it? You know, bits that were good, bits that you could have done without, characters? Mm, you'll skip first. <laughs> Sharon? Um... I actually thought the, the the setup was pretty solid. The having Marganus as being ridiculously evil, he's it's, it's, it's almost a little caricaturish evil at the start of it, and you, you immediately say, "This is you know, he's him murdering the Draenei in their cages to power the portal," and it's like they're establishing immediately that he's not on the level. The difference between him and Mumra is that he's green and Mumra's blue. Yes. <laughs> There is that, but I, I think the um, ultimately, if you're going to uh, be setting up a race which is traditionally considered to be the bad guys, mm-hmm. um, which it, it's not as if this is a, an unfamiliar monster name. You know, orc is a term that most people who know fantasy are familiar with, and they're used to putting them in the bad guy category. Um, so and to, never focusing on them either just like they're, yeah. they're enemies to, who attack you savagely and get killed so that the humans have got some action absolutely so I think if if the the direction that they'd gone had been to um, set them up like let me think interesting I said the humans there because technically the dwarves and elves may be different in stature but they're all pretty much humans whereas the orcs are always portrayed as monsters yeah, very big, very chunky, very muscular, massive teeth, teeth in you know, the wrong or places. Or thin, like evil goblins, but you know that they are never not monsters. No, um, and there's a lot of a lot more physical distortion um, in those races that are generally considered to be the bad guys, um, whereas the ones that are. Uh, on the the good side, on the human side, um, as you say, a lot of the time it's it's a more exaggerated perfection certainly in the case of of the elves and the gnomes are just sort of little and cute Mm. um but um but yeah i think if if to set up your story in the camp of uh, a people that you're gonna have to establish as as 
identifiable with and sympathetic when that's not how people are used to thinking of them. To go for presenting them in a variety of ways actually worked well for me. The fact that you've got this massively evil guy who, you know, sort of like um, giggly levels of evil, um, who seems to be the one at the top, in spite of the fact that, that it's it's made very obvious that they're kind of they're different tribes and all of their chieftains clearly have a say in in the direction that they go as a people. This is the guy that everybody's listening to. But that then gives you the opportunity to set up within that narrative that there are people who's worried about what he's doing. There are people who feel that this is not acceptable. Um, you know, you, you get that opportunity for people to say, well, you know, kids in cages isn't that a bit uh no it's a lot <laughs> thank you <laughs> so i was I, I was quite comfortable at that point that i was i was really enjoying it and and uh feeling that i was being pulled into the story and and um yeah thus far i liked you know we, the characters are always going to be a big part of that for me so they must have been doing something right well, we do establish that Duratan has misgivings about all this. He's not happy about what's going on. Mm. He clearly doesn't. He, he's what he's going to be in the Vanguard. Him and the Frost Wolves are going to be in this group that go through first. You get the feeling he's not happy about that. But the he, Frost he almost, Wolves are his tribe. Folks. His tribe, yeah. yeah. You, get, you get the feeling that he he um, is only getting through going through with it, and he doesn't really want to be in this advanced party. But he's doing it because he feels he needs to keep an eye on what's going on, yeah. and he doesn't trust leaving his, his his pregnant wife behind even though there seems to be some um, anathema about her going through the portal with them they're immediately when, as soon as she goes through they're immediately why did you bring her yeah but it's, it's, I, it's, mainly, it's not because she's female it's because she's pregnant yeah I wondered if that had something to do with the amount of, um, of energy and, and soul that were needed to open up the portal there seemed to be a correlation between number of sacrifices and number of individuals that went through the gate um, and I, I wondered whether it was like the fact that basically she's two people that took up energy that means that's two warriors they couldn't take through yeah, something like that. I mean, the the child clearly doesn't do well for the for the journey. No. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the actual performance capture here reminded me of Planet of the Apes, the the recent ones, with obviously Toby Kebbell playing um, Koba in, uh, in in those two films. Um, he's a magnificent performance artist, completely wasted on the Fantastic Four film where uh, he played Doctor Doom, uh, but. Um, you know, the first thing we see of Durotan is, you know, a look of concern on his face and his very human-looking eyes sort of, you know, scanning left and right ever so slightly and just, you know, he's watching his wife and, and that's an extremely relatable scenario to be in um, and it humanises them immediately. That that was a triumphant way to open, as far as I'm concerned. More like that, the whole way through, would have been splendid. Mm. And I agree, I would not have had an issue if they had pretty much stayed with these guys for most of the story. Yeah. Most of the strongest scenes in the movie are scenes with Duratan and Orgrim and the various orcs interacting.
Anduin Lothar, a strapping Johnny template, gets given Chekhov's gun by a dwarf and then goes back home to Stormwind, the seat of power for the Alliance or the goodies. Uh, Glenn, can you tell us what the trope of Chekhov's gun means? Uh, this is um, one of the oldest. It's basically, I think the line goes, if you show a gun on the hearth in the first act, it has to be fired or used by the end of the third act or, or it shouldn't have been in the story. <laughs> It's uh, I think his name for Anton Chekhov. It's, it's one of the oldest yeah, around. He, he, but basically, if you show a, something, yeah. you've got to use it. Yeah, he was a playwright, so you know you uh, um, it, it, you show it on stage, or even better, like you you then put it in a drawer, and so everyone's always thinking they can't see the gun, but they're thinking about it. You know, I think it may possibly relate to um, him generally working with relatively sparse set dressing which nevertheless contained everything that was required for the narrative yeah um when, when the trope generally gets discussed on it's usually pointing out when people have done it wrong because yeah. yes. there's all there's almost there's almost an audience expectation that this is the way things work in 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 drama now mm. yeah. so Absolutely. when you show something and then don't use it the audience feels cheated yeah. yeah i'll give you an example chekhov's glasses if the heroine is wearing spectacles that's going to be a plot point by the end of act two you think yes is it like uh, sometimes could it not be simply that she is bookish yeah exactly but the point being she will take them off at some stage and reveal that she's actually quite attractive Oh my God! You're right. Have you ever seen a film where the heroine wore glasses and it just literally isn't commented on or relevant to her character? She just happens to wear glasses. I seem to remember. Didn't Joe Rowling say that she didn't want, you know, ideally didn't want Hermione to wear glasses because it was too much of an obvious trope that she's bookish, thus she must wear glasses. Yep. Okay. Right. Some 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 tropes are hard to beat down. Yeah. They are. <laughs> okay. Um, so, th- what, what do you think of Anduin Lothar, the, uh, the the lead hero of the film? He's there. He is there. <laughs> A lot of the time. Only just. If he'd had any less about him, he'd have been transparent. Um, apart from being there, what what of him? Tell me all about this man. What what do we know of him? Oh God! Um, Describe him in words. His character, or his his behaviour, or his his. Pick role one. With him. Okay, he's a. Explain mate of why the... we're watching him for most of the film. Right, he's a mate of the king. Yep. Um, whether it's because his sister is married to the king, or whether it's because he's been friends with the king a long time, and the king just happened to marry his sister, I don't know. Um, <laughs> he has a son. Yep. What, what's his son, Callan, like? Uh, oh, God. He is... Also one-dimensional. Yeah, Blandy McBland. Um, She's, he's, a, he's a very stereotypical, obvious, I want to make my father appreciate me. I want to live up to my father kind oh, of character. Oh, no, 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 no. We never even find out. We have to infer that. As he has. Later. We, we know he wants to be in the regiment the, because his aunt, the, the queen, basically convince the king to put him in the regiment against his father's wishes. But this is a conversation. We never see any of this unfold. Somebody tells us about it. And you can't really pick the guy out until you realise that he's the character that Lothar's now talking to. It's like, oh, right, okay, yes. that's who, oh, that's that who they're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. 
Okay, so uh, we, we, we now know that Anduin Lothar is very handsome and has a beard. You forgot that. He's very handsome and has a beard and twinkly eyes. Is he, though? No. He looks like he's channeling um, okay. Leonardo DiCaprio. With Listen to me. He has a beard, Sharon. Okay? <laughs> that is very important that he has a beard and it's quite pointy. And he has long hair and twinkly eyes. And some oh, people might find yeah. him handsome. I suppose so, yes. Some okay. people might find him handsome. Anyway, um, so Anduin Lothar uh, finds out about the raids that the orcs are doing to, you know, about, you know, people have been disappearing and it's the orcs' fault and they've left many humans dead. And a wet-behind-the-ears young mage named Cadgar, played by Will Wheaton as Wesley Crusher in 1992, goes to seek out the Guardian Midva. Right. Okay, folks, I would like you guys to, if you're going to go see this movie in this, this week, bring a bottle of Jack with you and a shot glass. And keep that in your coat pocket. Don't let the usher see you because they will not like what you're going to do with it. Every time someone says the word guardian, take a shot. You will be dead before the end of this film. <laughs> you will have finished the bottle of Jack and you'll be I mean, just being sick because they'll be, they'll be saying guardian. You'll be like, I've got no more Jack. No more Jack. Just stop saying guardian. It do you didn't think they went the with f- that? <laughs> do you think they went with calling him guardian because they couldn't get their hang around? The pronunciation of his name? What, Mid... Medivh. Medivh, okay. Um, I think they kept calling him Guardian... You know what, if you just did like a, a little, like, you know, f- search on the script, if you had it open as a document and just went search, Guardian, and it would just go 78 instances of this word, you go, that's too many. Can we cut it down to maybe 20 tops? Mm. I did wonder at one point, actually, if they had decided early on that um, if they called everybody by name, either the audience would get confused and wouldn't know who anybody was or would get confused as to what each individual was supposed to be doing because the vast majority of times, people are not referred to by their names. Lane is referred to as the king. Yep. Most of the time, it's only a couple of times people actually call him by his name, including his wife, I might add. Um, In fact, his wife is mostly referred to as my sister by Lothar. Um, Lothar largely gets referred to as the captain. Um, and Lothar's his last name as well. It's not even his first name. Yeah. yeah. And Well, that was the that threw it's me Anduin. totally. Two-thirds of the way through the film, Lane calls him Anduin three times. It took me ten minutes to work out who he was talking about. <laughs> and then they go back to calling him Lothar again on the occasions when they use his name and aren't calling him the captain. Um, and uh, Cadgar usually gets called, like mage or somebody uses some random nickname for him um so i i would just kind of thinking well this whole guardian thing guardian the guardian let's go fetch the guardian kind of made sense because i was like they're they're just not using names here they're just referring to everybody as their class or title so that we know who's there for what purpose that's enough of you sorcerer Mm. by the way i I use the term sorcerer repeatedly throughout these uh descriptions just because uh, i can't i don't i don't want to have to get people i don't expect people to keep track of how many different mages and um like for example guldan fits the bill of a shaman but there are no orc shamans (laughs) So, Goldan's a warlock in Hearthstone. Yeah, I mean technically he's a warlock, and one of the uh, one of the hallmarks of warlocks is that they have like these big like um, golems following them around. And you know we all know that warlocks are, are evil and untrustworthy and stabby and like they're they're, they're the least nice humans if you're going to be a class uh, in the human pot, possibly with the exception of Death Knight, but they weren't around at this point. Um, 
So anyway, Midva is carving a giant goal. Medivh. Medivh. <laughs> I know. <laughs> anyway, Midva. <laughs> Is carving a giant Chekhov's golem. And, and uh, Johnny Template turns up and goes, oh, what you got there, a golem? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is Chekhov's golem. Uh, I'm not I'm not a warlock, though. You can absolutely trust me. Uh, so he's a, he's a major – the Guardian is a major mage appointed with looking after the whole alliance. However, it is abundantly clear to the whole audience that he has become corrupted and driven mad by dabbling in the green fell magic himself. So basically everyone in the audience, not one person didn't think – well, he's obviously dodgy. Um, put your hands up if you didn't think that. Uh, what do we think of Midva? Um, the Guardian. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was quite appalled, to be <laughs> honest. Um, it, it's not the most ridiculous performance in the film, it's certainly not the most wooden. That was the least ridiculous performance. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Um, but he does kind of give up on the concept of actually acting his lines pretty quickly and just declares them in as dramatic a manner as he can. I'd say the least ridiculous performance is actually Draca, the female orc, uh, wife of Duratan. She's incredibly, uh, you know, her actress is extremely um, reined in. You mm. you get the humanity behind her. Uh, yeah, she's very dedicated to the the what she's portraying. Yeah, I was thinking about this the other day. The thing that I realised that the thing that Medivh most reminds me of in this movie is Christopher Lambert as Raiden in Mortal Kombat. <laughs> yes. You know what? If, if it had been yes. Christopher Lambert, that you know what? Better movie. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And what did I say? He's not old enough for this role. Yeah. You need an older guy. No, I said that first time, didn't I? Unless you were thinking. I think we, it. we both said yeah. that. Okay. Basically, right. <laughs> Here is the important thing about Medivh. He needs to be a hero that we all look up to and an old one at that. He needs to be a Patrick Stewart, somebody that we trust implicitly, and he needs to be acting with that level of earnestness the whole way through so that when the turn then happens you go oh no and then if he carries on acting within the parameters we that we've been given that he's just trying to do the right thing we can understand a much better more complex villain than if he is the obviously shifty weird looking rat like ben foster who has a proven track record of overacting in films in here i don't th- i don't think he's really overacting so much He's just flat. He's just really kind of, he's just there and talking and mumbling. And by the way, the mumbling, there were so many instances in this film that I couldn't hear what was being said because everyone was talking into their chests. And if they're all talking, like, you know, naming these you know, big, like the big pronouns of, uh, you know, of important places and people, um, it's, it's very difficult to keep track of it all if, if they're mumbling. Um, Maybe that's why they gave up on the names. Maybe. Or, or just, you know, just, just speak up. It, it could be the sound mix. It, it, speak clearly. It could be the sound mix because the fights and the big smashes and crashes, they get precedent. Like that, that's turned up to 11. The music's turned up to 10. The speech is at 8, maybe 7. So when the, when the music's very quiet, then you can hear the speech most of the time. But if, uh, if there's something going on, just give up because it's not happening. That, that's yeah, that's one 
in the edit. He has one reasonable reasonable scene with Corona in the second half of the movie, but yeah, other yeah, than that, he's... Yeah, is that the one where he gives her the magic flower and sends yeah. her on her way? Yeah. He actually has something to right. work with there. <laughs> Can I ask you a question about that scene, Glenn? I know we're jumping ahead here, because I want to see if your interpretation of that is the same as mine. It right. seemed like they were setting up that Medivh was Corona's father, but then they dropped yep. it and never brought it up again, and I thought... Maybe that was the idea. They'd planned on having him played by somebody older. Then when they cast Ben Foster, they suddenly realised that wasn't that gonna ain't gonna work, work. But forgot to take the scene out. Yep, that was my interpretation of the scene as well. Or he's, he's, he's hinting at that, or he's hinting at that he knows who her father is. Mm. I did some reading up on the actual characters and the law. Um, apparently, Midva, Medivh, sorry, Medivh, um, was possessed by a demon named Sargeras. I thought that was Illidan, that big horny thing that turns up at the end. It's actually someone called Sargeras. I believe he's something to do with the Burning Legion, who apparently possessed him when he was 14 and sent him into a coma for 20 years. They don't really touch on the demon plots in this. I can see that there's a possibility that Someone somewhere says, we're not going to do demons in this story. We're not going to do demonic possession, despite the fact that what we're manifestly watching here is demonic possession. possession. <laughs> like, people I would ask questions. What was that great big demon thing? Nope, look over there. There's there's no answers <laughs> to be found within this film. Um, but again, this it gives you reinforcement of why it makes more sense for him to be older and somebody that you can believe that he's exhausted, that he's had to do so much to protect this land, which also you're not sold on because it doesn't really appear that they've had that much conflict going on until the orcs turned up. And he hasn't but done if, anything or said anything for like 10 years. Yeah. So he's been in a coma for 20 years. He's done bugger all for 10 years. <laughs> and then he woke up so tired he contracted with a demon. He can't be much older than 44 <laughs> years old. <laughs> Um, so the good humans fight the bad orcs in the forest and capture Garona. <sighs> I'm sorry, guys. I couldn't not go. <laughs> A half-breed orc slave, whom the human king Lane Rin and his wife Lady Taria Win Rin become fixated upon. Now that I'm saying that, it sounds like there was something seedy going on, but they are both very interested in her. As a link to the orc race and the possibility of a truce. Because she can speak both languages. Yeah, she can speak. So, you know, they're thinking, right, if we, maybe we don't have to fight and kill all of them. Which is an admirable sentiment for a war movie, rather than just him being a warmongering, we will kill them all! You know. That, that line of the chat from the trailer was saying, oh, they must, the monsters, they should all be destroyed, is not in the movie. Who said that? Was it Lane? No, it's one of the random knights in the um, the chamber says says oh they're, they're monsters they should all be destroyed it's a big prominent line in all of the trailers oh and it's God. not in the movie they should all be destroyed that, actually no that, that's Muldoon he comes down they should all be destroyed <laughs> especially the the, uh, the big one they remember and then an orc gets him at the end and he goes clever girl <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I did some reading up on Garona, and apparently she's not half orc, she's not half human, as, as was, you know, I think it's abundantly clear that she's supposed to be in the film. She's actually half orc, half Draenei. They said in one of the interviews that what they're going for here isn't to try and match the, the lore of the game, but to create a parallel version of it. Yeah. They, they, they refer to the Ultimate Marvel comics as the thing they're going for. Yeah. 
I suppose there's sort of the, the, if you read back on what happened in the games, that certain things do happen specifically ar- around what happens with Duratan. Um, but uh, they move pieces around, change time scales, and uh, and, and yeah, she's half human, half orc, and um, she doesn't appear to be uh, in the original lore. She was being controlled by like an evil orc council, and she was a spy sent to kill um, Lane. And uh, it, as you know, here she's just a slave. And although interestingly, the little bit at the beginning when she sees a bunch of female Draenei in, in cages, and she sort of goes, "Ah," oh, it's like you know, can 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 you please take my baby and keep her safe? And uh, the, you know, the evil orc black hand goes, "No, we need all of them, all of them, especially the babies." <sighs> anyway, how, how did you think this the scene where they? established that both sides of speaking different languages worked because that felt really weird it was the one where it was in the uh in the, the cart in the cart yeah, yeah yeah that was kind of someone mentioned that was like the hunt for red october where they're sort of they're speaking another language the camera pans sideways and now suddenly they're speaking english i actually really quite liked that especially the way they they shifted the sound mm. Um, on the humans so that all of a sudden you couldn't understand what they were saying. Yeah, when the grumpy orc in the cage with Garona was like, what are they saying? Shut up! Or I'll eat your tongue! Or wear your tongue. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, just if, if you've ever looked on YouTube, there's uh, what English sounds like to non-English speakers, and it's all just a sort of a, a bunch of weird... I'll see if I can get a bit, a bit on here. A, a bunch of phonics. Um, but it's... It's very important to, to understand if you're an, uh, only English speaking that not like that saying things loudly and slowly doesn't necessarily make you any easier to understand. <laughs> Take note when you're in a, in a foreign country. But uh, no, that, that was fine. I mean, ultimately, Tiger's Eye, which is quite a lot inspired by Warcraft, a lot of the concept of Tiger's Eye is, um, you know, not being able to understand each other. And, you know, Harau speaking English and Miguel speaking English or Spanish. And uh, they should, you know, because they're talking to us in English, they, sh- they should, obviously, there's, there's that. We have, I have to take for granted that the listener understands what is being said is being passed through a filter of translation. Mm. I think it's it clearer is- when they do it in the scene later in the movie, but yeah. yeah. Mm, yeah, but it was it was a nice introductory way of doing it. And, and I mean, you're right, Alex, it is a very difficult thing to get across, especially when you consider that without wanting to cast aspersions on native speakers of English, most of us are not fluent in any other languages. Is, is that fair to say? It's, yeah. it's not a common thing in, um, in England and the non-spanish speaking parts of america for understanding of other languages to be a high priority yeah that's usually the case i actually quite liked the performance of uh paula i want to say paula poundstone there of paula Patton as uh garona the um her actual name is garona half orson which would suggest half orkin uh, a strong-willed orc draenei. I uh, see. It says even in the um, Wikipedia page, a strong-willed orc draenei survivor caught between the alliance and the horde, believing she is half human and half orc. She must decide where her true loyalty lies. That may have been written a bit preemptively. And I get the feeling that some of the things on on Wikipedia of this movie are written yeah. by people that haven't seen it yet. Yeah, and uh, hasn't been updated yet, and we'll probably never know because there'll probably never be a sequel. <sighs> but uh, anyway, the. Um, yeah, I liked her intensity, and um, obviously they had fallen prey to the... What did you send me this morning, Glenn? It was the... Um, cute monster girl. Cute monster girl trope. 
I mean, Glenn's a, a, a um, you know quite into TV tropes, and uh, the um, cute monster girl is basically where all the males are big and hulking monsters, but the females, specifically the hero females, are just hot but with green skin or <laughs> horns. And, uh, you know, to the point where, you know, the, the males or the, uh, the the so inclined female, the males in the audience can go, her, and the females in the audience who would like to identify with them can go, yeah, she's not unlike me, as opposed to, oh, she's a great big horrible monster. She's the only female orc in the movie that's portrayed that way because she's a half orc, I guess. But yeah, because the, the orcs in, in particular in World of Warcraft is the only race where they do that. All the other races in World of Warcraft do fall into that trope pretty much. Is that um, actually yeah? Now that you mentioned the uh, the the female trolls stand up straight while while the male trolls always crouch, which you know that sort of makes them more animalistic looking. Um, yeah, and the uh, the <laughs> Tauran females cows with boobs. What did you guys think of Garana before we go move forwards? I felt very strongly like they really wanted Zoe Saldana for this role. Yep, I can see that. Yeah, she's working well with what she what she's been given in this movie. She's kind of the audience surrogate. She's stuck as the ex, in the role of the explainer in a lot of the movie, having that's, to explain what's going on to everybody. That's another point. We haven't really discussed the mage because there's nothing to discuss. There's nothing there. But the the little wet behind the ears, um, uh, Will Wheaton mage, uh, Kadga. Um, there's there's nothing to him. But if he'd been a gnome, and he'd been quite inexperienced like he is and he'd been our focus point so like you know you you were enter into this vast world and he's just let out of magic academy he's like what am i doing here um you know it doesn't necessarily have to be cadgate it could be someone else like here's the thing you know you don't they, they didn't have to slavishly stick to the original law and they didn't uh, but they, they were using a lot of certain characters and players and um to that end they end up hamstrung and slightly manacled by these already existing characters that they have to stay somewhat true to to stick with, to keep the law pure to some extent um it however is quite possible to make up new characters to hang around with these established characters so if Kadgar had been like i know it sounds silly but something for the kids something for little kids to go yeah he's my hobbit he's my my lens to this world something for regular people to go yeah this does seem big and scary and everyone's saying all these weird words and you know if he's he's led a relatively sheltered existence in magic academy you know we you don't have to do the hero's journey every single time you don't have to conform to the standard tropes of here is the fantasy world and i will have everything explained to me by people who are who are you know my uh experience-wise superiors but it helps if for a first film if you're if you're trying to to establish an ip it really helps to ease people in with that particular trope part of the reason why i think the orcs come across so much more sympathetically and well in this movie is that you have an audience surrogate character you have a character in in duratan yeah that you're following there isn't an equivalent character on the human side really but for nowhere near enough time if you actually look at the amount of time Duratan's really in this film, it's like twenty percent, and that's uh, it's it's not enough for him to really make his mark on the film itself. He's the guy you want to go back to, but never really get the chance to because you're spending all your time with Andrew and Lothar. 
Anyway, so studying a book, the young mage uh, realizes that the mad orc sorcerer could not have opened the gate to Azeroth alone. He needed help from someone on their side. It is even more blindingly obvious to everyone watching that this somebody is the mad human sorcerer, Midva, who appropriately turns up and burns all of the young mage's findings and then wanders off again. Um, Garona takes the naive and soft young king and the sarcastic, tedious Johnny Template to a mountain pass where the nice orc, Durotan, attempts an accord, promising to help defeat the mad orc sorcerer. It's a trap! They even yell at one point, it's a trap! And the mad human sorcerer throws up a useless shield which gets Johnny Template's bland son, Callan, killed by a bad orc named Blackhand. Uh, played by Clancy Brown, by the way. You wouldn't know because his voice is all like this all the time anyway. But, you know, just run it through an orc filter. And he's just this really horrible, aggressive, nasty orc. Uh, he, nonetheless, he he does have like a sh- like his his shred of um, like he has a line in that he respects honor. He holds to the traditions of his people. Yeah. That's how he puts it. So he's not whole like I, I like it when um, villains and antagonists have something that they won't do. And if it's, in this case with Blackhand, it's to not be dishonorable. He even attempts, after Johnny Template blows his hand the fuck off, uh, he attempts to kill himself by starting off by burning his hand in green fire that's then going to spread to the rest of his body. And Duratan cuts his arm, well, his arm off at the elbow to prevent him from being immolated and says, no, Gul'dan, we were, we fought to the best of our abilities. He shouldn't have to die for this. And he gets, Blackhand gets irate because he was trying to be, do the honorable thing. And then he gets given an enormous black resident evil hand. <laughs> Um, so yeah, there's not much to most of the other orcs, but you know, there's there's some to Blackhand. Um, the wimpy young mage goes to visit a bunch of pompous, important mages with this crucial news about uh, the about you know Midva, and is immediately dismissed as an idiot. Right, I said this to Sharon before we saw it. There is one point where he flies on a griffin to a floating palace in the sky. Uh, which is like a magic academy or something, and he runs up some marble stairs floating in space to a giant marble ring surrounded by those blue guys from Oa in the Green Lantern film, and he goes, the Guardian Midva's gone mad, he's trying to open a gate to to, to let a bunch of Horde into Azeroth. And the one guy in front of him, without blinking, without thinking for two seconds, goes, ridiculous! At which point, the little gnome orc, uh, sorry, the little gnome mage would have gone, sorry, you guys stand around here in a circle all day and every day, just, just what, talking to each other or waiting for someone to visit you? And you're telling me, the person with news from the outside world, that whatever I have to say is ridiculous? Fuck you! <laughs> it does lead to the most confusing bit of the movie as well after that, yeah. where he goes and visits, visits a lodi. Yeah, the the Welsh wizard um, takes him to a cosmic cube for no reason, and he, he uh, which, it sort of opens up a black yeah. portal, and he goes, "I don't know, it's never done that before." And then he goes in and meets a shadowy Glenn Close for no reason, who gives him a crit. Like when you meet Glenn Close suddenly, and she's so heavily made up, and like you know her eyes are glowing, and she's in a black cloak, and she's in a black room, and the little mage is talking to her. And you're thinking, is that Glenn Close the whole scene? You failed to make that scene have impact. <laughs> because, and she's not credited for it. Yeah, she's not credited for it. And what she's saying is less important than the fact that it might be Glenn Close. <sighs> 
So yeah, anyway, this is this is sort of set up earlier. I didn't realize when I when I saw it the second time I was like they never did follow up on that ghost thing in the library because there's a sort of a black shadowy ghost thing that leads him to a book in the library. And then I realized that that was the one that he saw and that was Glenn Close and blah 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 blah. So that's sort of a set up payoff scenario. But it's all like there's so much traveling from one place to another to tell somebody some information so that you can move back to another place. And oh my god. She gives him a little mantra. What is it? Uh, out of darkness comes light. Out of light, darkness. Light, out of light comes darkness. And yeah, and meaning that somebody in somehow. the alliance is bad. Somebody in the orcs is nice. Or and, you know, and, it's got many other meanings. But yeah, and that's the earth-shattering news that convinces him that Medivh is evil, and he now has to leave. Yeah. And rather go tell, sort that out. rather than telling him, you know, you know what what to do, she gives him a cryptic clue. It's Medva. It's it's exactly like Palpatine in the fucking prequels. It's so obviously Midver to everybody watching. But you know, he's got this he's got the force powers that means he can never be detected or some shit. That was one of the worst scripting and and story decisions to basically make this guy like he needs to be doing something so big and so bold that seems to be so manifestly good that you wouldn't suspect that he's actually doing evil stuff. But he's so shifty the whole way through. Every time he uses his magic, he's weak, and they have to dip him in the pool to recharge him. Yeah. And you're like, this guy's not on the level at all, his, is he? Yeah, his, his eyes are rolling obvious. back into his head and growing gr- glowing green, and everyone's like, hmm, I wonder if he's all right. Midva then goes... He's building a... Golem! <laughs> he's yeah, doing he's building a golem the first time you see him! Midva then goes proper mad in his tower and shows us that he was in fact the one using fell magic all along despite being creepy, shifty, paranoid and untrustworthy. He, he claims to not have knowledge other- of what he's done. Yeah. Your other alternative is either make him so incredibly powerful and and the things that he's doing are so obviously very good that nobody would suspect him, or make it very, very obvious that he is the, the, um, the weak link in this chain, but have him obviously covering his tracks as things go along. So, like, you know, mind trick on people so that they don't realise. But it, it, you're absolutely right with the comparison to Palpatine. It comes across like they're not expecting the audience to get it. Yeah, they feel like they have to spell it out a bit multiple times when you've you've probably twigged almost immediately. Interesting how we keep going back to talk about him. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, he's so important to the plot, and it's, I mean, ultimately, he, he doesn't matter. If you take that whole side out of it, ultimately, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like, it, like it, imagine if just Gul'dan was coming through without any help from the other side. It doesn't matter. <laughs> just drop that whole subplot, and you've got a much, like, more straightforward film. Or make that subplot really resonate. Anyway. Because that should have been the big kicker, shouldn't it? Not the fact that this particular individual happens to be a bad guy after all, but the fact that the... Um, 
the, the source of good magic that they've all been completely relying on all this time, not that's been asleep in a tower for 10 years not doing anything, but that they've all been relying on all this time is is now they discover something that they're going to have to do without because it's it's working against them. Garona, there's a scene where she and... Um... Johnny Template, um, like Johnny Template's getting drunk because his son's been killed, and you know the first time I saw it, it was kind of a sad scene, and then when I saw his the aftermath, I kind of felt like um, uh, it was Steve, uh, you know, in a bar getting well, can't unable to get drunk after Bucky dies. But the second time, he's like, no, nope, I hate you, you suck, boring. We find out that uh, Callan's mother died in childbirth, and he blamed Callan. So sort of some retroactive characterization a bit there. And so now he feels bad for, you know, making Callan suffer throughout his life uh, as a result of that. It, it, it seemed like it was about to develop into a scene and then they cut straight to Midver again. So They do this many times, actually, with uh, what seem to be the seeds of an emotional beat. And just as it starts to come to fruition, it's like, right, you've had enough of that. Let's go and see what's happening over here where people are hitting each other with sticks. Okay, so Garona, the half-orc lady, grows a little closer to Johnny Template, but then because of his dead family, he gets angry at the soft king who just wants to hold down the fort, hold down the fort, at various positions uh, throughout Azeroth. Basically, we'll just set up um, like three risk men on each of these areas, and we'll hope for the best. Um, and uh, Johnny wants a full-on assault on the portal. Midver appears in the room. This He seems fine, despite the fact that we know him to be be demonically possessed. He's already, like, killed his own butler. Um, (laughs) And, like, like, his face has gone all fucked up. Now he suddenly appears and appears very lucid. That makes me think this scene was filmed out of sequence. Like, you know, if you remember, he accompanies the king. Like, he's, he's going to go with him, and then he goes back to his tower. But then when the, the the young mage goes into his tower, he's still, like, zombieing. So it really There's feels like scene. that was completely, like, sh- like, like not shot at a different time, but they were supposed to be at different times. There's another major instance of this coming later on, but it feels like in the edit, they switch those around to kind of blend the two, and it doesn't work because you're going, hang on, he's lost his mind back at the tower, and here he is goading Johnny Template... Um, manifestly in front of everybody else until Johnny loses his temper. He's like, yeah, your son died because of you. And Johnny goes, ah! And then they go, no, 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 send him to jail. Uh, despite the fact that Johnny has the Alliance's best interests at heart, obviously. And then Soft King Lane goes with Johnny's plan without Johnny in tow, but he brings Garona to help kill her people. For reasons. Well, we talked about Dominic Cooper's job as King King Lane. Yeah, um, well, no. Okay, talk, talk about Dominic Cooper as King Lane. Uh, one of the largest hams <laughs> in the movie, I think. Worse than Ben Foster? Mm, yeah, I think so. I, he's, he doesn't come across as a king at all. No, that's true. It, and he, he's, he he's... loudly emotes, and then, yeah... He, he comes across more sort of a head boy of the Quidditch team who's been, like, you know, he elected yes. without him knowing. And he's like, well, I guess I suppose I'll be king. <laughs> but, you know, anything to not have to do this. 
Mm. I think the reason that he I I did find him more frustrating than Ben Foster is I know Ben Foster's not really capable of much better than that. <laughs> I know Dominic Cooper can do better than this. Yeah. yeah. But again, they're constrained by what King Elaine was like, which, you know... That... They're constrained by what he did. Yeah. You can give him all the subtextual motivation in the world you want, if you want to. I'm... Oh, his, I'm his, queen, his queen has, a, has, has much more characterization. They do a better job sure. with the queen. And the queen's an original character for the movie. Sharon, tell me your queen's theory, because... Right, that... Oh, this, <laughs> this ticked me off to high hell. It really did. Okay, right. It's so apparent that she's there because they suddenly went, we don't have enough girls in this movie. Everything that she does is basically, it's very incongruous. They set her up to start with as, if I remember rightly, and I I might be wrong on this, so correct me if I am, but they set her up as a warrior. She turns up in armor, doesn't she? Kind of, it's a chainmail kind of thing she's got on. A little bit. She's got like a chainmail crown. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Um, well, the the uh, the um, the sense that I got of it was that uh, she and uh, her brother were both sort of quite warrior type people. She's obviously had some input in getting Callum into the regiment, um, but then they kind of drop that, and then you get anything compassionate that needs to happen in this environment. She does. So she brings the um, uh, she brings Garona down some um, some blankets and food, and um, you know basically sort of tries to have this woman to woman talk with her, which I did like. I liked the scene. I thought it was a, a good way of of getting two of the characters to actually interact and, and bond, which you don't get a lot of elsewhere. Um, but given that what they're trying to paint Lane as is a very compassionate king. Why not have him do that? These, you know, or, or have Lane and, and the queen discussing their idea for how they're going to, you know, work on this whole reconciling the orc and human um, race so that they can maintain this peace that's, that's between them. Just, so much of what she does seems to be so pointless. And because she's the one who's doing all of those um, uh, compassionate, considerate, peaceful, motivating actions, when Lane decides to be killed at the end, because he ultimately wants to sacrifice himself for this peace, it doesn't make any sense because you haven't had his character expanded and developed enough for that to be a logical conclusion to it. And it's not very often that I will say, you know what this film could have done with? Less women. (laughs) I just, I didn't, I I didn't think she needed to be there. Certainly not in the form that she was or or what they did with her. I mean, the Warcraft game series does finally eventually get some decent female characters, but they're not from this early in the story. Mm. They don't, characters like Jaina and Sylvanas and so on all come in much later. Mm. So they didn't have women back then. Not in the games, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but yeah, I I, I totally agree. The um, if if the bonding had taken place not between Garona and um, uh, Johnny Template uh, or Garona and um, what's her name? Lady Tarly. <laughs> Lady, 
or Garona and Lady Taria, but if it had been mostly Garona and Lane Rin, like like really focused on Lane as the hero king, um, you know, the, 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 the painting him as a man, a man with weaknesses who was trying to do his best in a difficult situation. Um, I actually thought that the uh, the perfect accompaniment uh, for him, like t- to have your action man guy as well, uh, would be to have uh, like, you know a, a, a warrior who was maybe not the quickest of cats. But uh, twinned up with this, um, you know, wet behind the ears uh, gnome mage. So you've got the nerd and the jock together. Um, and it doesn't, like, here's the thing. When I'm describing these tropes, it doesn't have to be portrayed like a jock and a nerd. But you've just got that little, like, frisome between, you know, I'm really good with my, my body and I can really, you know, protect you in battle. And, you know, you're a squishy. And what I just described is 21 Jump Street Warcraft style. <laughs> that is a great little pairing for the human alliance as opposed to what we actually get, which is the exact same thing, but a lot more boring. And the orcs have their pairing of Duratan and Orgrim. You've got you know, the, the old soldiers that seem just tired. Yeah. That lovely little scene of them sort of sitting on the hill, That's looking down over the camp, and, yeah. and they're just sort of reminiscing about the good old days. And it's like, yeah, that, that scene really works and you get both of those characters in that scene not many people will uh, uh, know this one but um orgrim the uh the, the buddy orc was um was robert kaczynski uh who uh if you guys have seen pacific rim uh he was um oh he was chuck hansen the guy who kept teasing riley and uh saying maybe you can build us a wall yeah the, the bully but he's unrecognizable here is uh, orgrim this sort of uh, gr- uh grave grim friend um but there's, there's little more to characterize Orgrim that doesn't also apply to Duratan. <laughs> oh, it's good to see trees again. <laughs> On the snow. Even from a distance. Remember when we would track blood dogs through the frost wind dunes? It was always meat. Always life. You don't think it's strange that we lost our home when Gul'dan came to power? One orc cannot kill a world, Duratan. Are you sure? Look around you. Does it not remind you of something? Wherever Gul'dan works his magic, the land dies. If our people are to make a home here, my friend, Gul'dan must be stopped. We are not powerful enough to defeat Gul'dan. No. No. But with the human's help, we could be. So anyway, Wet Mage Cadger turns Johnny's one inept guard into a sheep and frees Johnny Template. They then take on Midva and Chekhov's golem is unleashed, having a lengthy yet uneventful scrap with Johnny, which eventually results in the death of Midva. He is crushed to death by it. Uh, while all this is happening, Duratan challenges the obviously mad and evil orc sorcerer Gul'dan to a duel in front of the clan. Gul'dan, I thought this was like, I was like, oh my god, okay, this is going to be huge. I expected Duratan to win and survive, and if not, for his death to actually be a big, big deal. Gul'dan cheats and uses fell magic to horribly murder the only nice orc. Basically, he, like, if folks who haven't seen it, he just like sucks his fucking soul out, leaving this like ripped apart husk. He still manages to sort of come back for one last attack. 
but this is this is the biggest fall of the film for me, and this is I believe probably a result of uh, moving it around in the edit. I think this actually would have come after the major battle, uh, but basically after he kills him by cheating using magic and he's you know uh, all grim says you know you cheated you have no honor and even um uh, black hands like you know you will obey the code because that's what the orcs are all about and uh, guldan's you know sort of looking about he doesn't have any allies and in a disney film you know it doesn't have to be disney but they they know story beats and in a, you know in a disney film or, or, or another clearer film um Without any allies, Gul'dan would be like, ah, and then like all the the, the um, honourable orcs or the hyenas would attack him and kill him, and that's the end of Gul'dan. Um, but instead, he kills three orcs and says, any questions? And all the other orcs go, yeah, no, okay, we'll still carry on following you. And I was what the fuck? Juratan just died, and he's really dead. And Gul'dan, it, doesn't, it hasn't changed anything at all. They've just completely forgotten that they're now following an orc with no honor. Fuck. And that breaks the movie for me. You can't come yeah. back from that. It does feel like it's in the wrong place. That this, that should be. There's a scene that well, they almost repeat the scene. Yeah. Later. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll come to that when we get to it, but we're pretty close now anyway. The humans attack suddenly because there's got to be a big battle. The humans sort of come up over the hill. They've decided to, like, the gate's opening. And uh, here's another thing about the gate, right? The first gate they came through was pretty fucking huge. And then a bunch of orcs run through. And then they end up, they, they, they play with space so that they're actually coming up and out of a giant, a pool. So they, they run in and it's vertical and then they come out horizontal. Um, and here they're making, they, you know, there's another enormous fucking gate, right? Dark portal. Yeah. Portal. The orcs are what? Eight to ten feet high. This gate is 300 fucking feet high. Like, so that you don't have to find quite so many new lives to suck the souls out of in order to open it, may I suggest a 15 foot high gate instead? You might only need to suck it out of a few things. What the fuck are you playing at? The size of this portal is like, well, just in case we have to bring through 20 dragons at once. Well, what about if you don't have to bring through 20 dragons at once? Because when the horde come running through, they're just a bunch of orcs. Why is it so fucking big? Because the magic says it has to be that big. No, it doesn't. Because reasons. Bullshit. <laughs> it's just a big, it's a big impressive gate from World of Warcraft and it's fucking huge. And yep. You look at it, it's like, wow, that thing is so big. But like, that, that, that looks stupid when you think about it. When you think about the fact that it's actually powered and it's powered by people and they've spent ages finding these people. But you, oh, they were just stuck with it at that point. Anyway, the humans attack, the two races fight, Duratan's wife Draka escapes with their baby and Moseses him down the river before being needlessly killed herself. In another kind of case of, oh. Um, King Elaine starts to get envious of all the good characters sacrificing themselves and has thus the brainwave of asking Garona to murder him in order to curry favour with the orcs and thus peace with the humans who will obviously hate her on a personal level for murdering their king. There are so many variables to this sudden mad plan that it's, it's pointless. Like, um, in his dying breath, Medev changes the portal so rather than leading to, um, uh, the, the orc homeworld, Draenei, Draenei, 
Draenu, Draenu. Um, it switches to Stormwind so that the refugee, the people who have been captured previously can run straight through to Stormwind. Then it starts to fail and a bunch of humans are approaching it and they're like, oh my god, it's starting to fail. Well, I guess I still won't jump in. I'd rather stay here and be horribly killed by orcs. There's a good six or seven seconds and the king is standing right there. He could just run through. But he's, he doesn't. I was like, right, does he have a plan? And he does have a plan. And his plan is to sacrifice himself. Because um, Garona mentioned earlier that if she killed the queen, she would be respected by her tribe. So he thinks if you kill the king, because Black Hand's coming to kill him, if you kill me, then um, then you'll be... They won't kill you. They won't kill you. <laughs> I mean, I think you... you, you That's uh, about as far as I think it went. But yeah, he says, bring peace between our species. You know, I'm, I'm putting all of this on you. Rather than not doing that um i can sort of see the logic but like i said there's there's so many variables of that like they're not established she's wearing lion armor like they're gonna fucking trust her it's battlefield logic it's the kind of idea that somebody comes up with when their brain is roaring with adrenaline and cortisol but but it's the whole film rests on this the idea of, uh, you know, we've got to bring peace between the orcs and the humans. And it doesn't fucking work because they still hate each other in 20, 30 years. So what was the point of that? Um, but anyway, Johnny Template turns up late after beating Medivh. For some reason, losing his boots. Why did he lose his boots? They were they, like they got stuck in the back of the golem. And then he does that. I don't think he put, I don't think he put any on when he left the prison. It it's got to be that. No, no, that he did. I was, I was paying close attention because I was like, well, there was that scene where he jumps without boots onto the griffin. That must be after he gets out of prison. Maybe they took his boots off. No, no, he's definitely got boots there. And then I, I paid close attention to his boots throughout that fight. That's how <laughs> gripping the fucking fight was. I was watching his boots the whole time, waiting for this fucking jumping on the griffin scene. Does he take them off so he can sneak up on it? No, what? no, they're impact. They're, he's made of soft clay. They're stuck in his back. He jumps out of his ah. boots. That's like a cartoon. <laughs> I missed that. Just, am I wrong, folks? Tell me if I'm wrong, please, because I think I dreamt this. So I I think I was going crazy at this point. Um, So Johnny turns up late on his griffin to bring the body back to Stormwind, but not before he can have a duel with Blackhand. Blackhand grabs the griffin by the leg and slams it to the ground, thus, in all versions of reality, breaking that griffin's leg. But the griffin is fine later on it's it's not going ow he broke my back leg it's able to fly off again um but let's just imagine that griffins have iron bones um there's a bit of nya 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 going on when um uh the when johnny template touches down he's like oh my god the king the king is dead and he sort of holds him up and then the griffin's trying to seeing off the orcs around him nya 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 is what happens when you're watching from dust till dawn at the very end when george clooney and um Juliet Lewis are fighting the vamps and um, there's definitely points when they are very vulnerable uh, or they haven't got their weapons primed or they've just run out of ammo or something like that and the vampires are running around behind them left and right and going nya, 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 nya. I don't know if it's a, and not attacking them. and not attacking them not taking the opportunity to attack them I w- keep your eye out because there's a lot of nya, nya, nya in Warcraft like whenever hero characters are surveying the battle no one's attacking them and they they have time to sort of look at each other and talk, and it's like, well, we, yeah, like Sharon, you were miming, like you know, okay, this is what happens when you like are in battle, and then like something, yeah, we're so just like you also have to defend your back, you also have to turn around, absolutely, like, you can't just be staring at people. Multiple occasions, 
where you've got you've got a battle going on as background. This this battle in the background never comes to the foreground. I note, um, but your hero characters are in the foreground, and instead of like stabbing one enemy and then immediately having to turn and defend the, against the enemy that's attacking them from behind, every time they make a kill, they get a few seconds grace to stop. It's invincibility. Look, make sure he's dead contemplate the fact that they just had to take a human life, then take a deep breath, turn, and plunge back into the fray. No, you'd get mobbed! So anyway, Johnny Template has another duel with Black Hand this time, and like slides under his legs and like cuts his balls off, and then stabs him in the back. Then he jumps back on the griffin and flies off, as though like he could have done that anyway, but he stops to have a duel. Because, um, you know, my dead family must be avenged. Now, this is where I think that fight with Juratan would have and indeed should have taken place. Because it should have been the two of them together against fighting. Either that or, like, or something like that. After he leaves, we're left with Garona and, um, you know, like, like clearly Goldan is, is, you know, wants to get rid of Corona because she's uh, Garona because she's, like, been with the Alliance. But there are other orcs who are like, no, we've got to believe her and she killed the king and blah, 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 like that. And, Dur- like, no orc steps forward to challenge him. Then Duratan steps forward. And then, uh, same thing happens. Goldan kills Duratan by cheating. And at the end of that, Orgrim says he has no honor. And then. All the orcs mob Gul'dan and fucking kill him. And then they turn around to their new leader, Garona. Am I wrong? I mean, is that not just a a, a straightforward, better fucking scenario wherein King Lane's sacrifice pays off in front of us? So we're like, okay, it and doesn't really... Means something. It, that does mean something. Duratan's sacrifice means something that way. Garona has gone from being a slave to being a king or being a queen. And um, that's, a, that's a big journey and a big deal for her. And she could have been characterized more the whole way through. Like, what I'm describing here sounds like that's almost what they had. And then they re-edited it so it wasn't the case. Which is fucking narrative suicide because the end of this movie... We end with the orcs still following Mumra Gul'dan, minus Duratan, the good orc, minus Draka, his wife, the other good orc, minus Blackhand, the honourable orc, and with Garona returned to them, now slightly above slave level, question mark? Back at Stormwind, where they no longer have a king, they vow to kill all the orcs, and Johnny Template, who now hates Garona because she killed his king, becomes their new leader because nobody else fits the template. The end. Except that Moses Orc gets found by a human. Sequel? There's no, yep. like Both times we watched this, Sharon, Glenn, we didn't get a sort of a, ah, oh, that was great. Or a, okay. We got an, uh, that was it. A stunned silence. You've got to end your movie in a punchy way. Even if all of it's sort of like, oh, God, what's going to happen? It's like, if you leave it like sort of, like it all ties together and everything you were doing makes people go, ah, then people will talk about your movie in a positive light. Even if there's a lot of biddly bong and a lot of, like, even if it takes a while to get there. I mean, I'm good at endings. I am proven to be good at endings. You're going to have to trust me that this was a better ending. It's the ending type where they're assuming a sequel, yeah. as in oh. we know there's going to we know there's going to be another movie, so we don't have to end this one. Just like the Golden Compass, yeah. never ever just assume there's going to be a sequel. You do your fucking best in that first one, and you just make it so that people love it and want a sequel. That's how you get a sequel. You don't go. Well, there's so many more stories to tell, so we're not actually going to finish this one. 
No. And considering that I really do feel it started strong, if it had ended strong, I you're absolutely right. I probably could have forgiven quite a bit of the bollocks in the middle. The middling middle. Yeah. But th- there are so many good things in this film. Like the, the, the armor that they, you know, they've, they've basically taken the armor from the game. They've taken the twink armor and gone, yeah, let's not do that. And just really focus on the big shoulder pads. And it looks sort of at once cartoony and realish, like it, it, not as practical as the, um, the Lord of the Rings stuff, but it's, it's got a heft to it. I loved the design of all of that stuff and all the storm wind type stuff. Um, you know, that, that, when they played the da, 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 I was like, oh, storm wind. At last. Oh, yeah, the music was yeah. fab. But all really the, made me feel like I was there. But all the best bits are from Raman Javadi. Um, all the best bits were sort of resplendent of Warcraft's previous themes. Um, it felt a little bit like a tease to me at times, and easy. It felt like it was about to really heavily break into yes. something from the games, and then it stopped and does something and else. And then didn't, yeah. Yes. It, or, it uses a couple of motifs, and you recognise those, but just when you think it's going to, oh, this is the Stormwind theme, this is the thought, the Stormwind theme, it's going to go straight into that, it's going to be great, and it doesn't. And I'm like, ah, such a tease, such a music, bit of musical tease in there. I wanted, it, I wanted the music from the games to be in there in some form, and it's there a little bit, but it's not there a lot. Yeah. Um, and the performance capture is really wonderful in this film. All of the um, orcs, when they speak, they have are extremely expressive and subtle, to the point where they they they, they make a mockery of the humans who aren't really trying to be expressive and to act. Like across the board, the humans' acting is wooden and disappointing and uninteresting. And across the board, the orc acting is larger than life and um, or subtle and grave. And like there's a, there's there's just stuff in there that just makes them compelling. Either they're Mumra Gul'dan, which is great fun to watch because he's so evil, or they're Duratan concerned for his family. It's just the orcs for me are you know a, a, a triumph. The problem with the orcs, unfortunately, is that collectively they seem kind of stupid and they'll follow anyone that the narrative requires them to, which makes you care less about them as a race. And if you kill everyone that's of interest to us, what do we care anymore about the orcs? That's a big thing. It's, it's industrial light and magic on this one. Oh, yeah? So, and uh, there's, there's a little documentary piece on the on the uh, BBC iPlayer at the moment about it. Mm-hmm. And, they, yeah, it's ILM pushing, pushing the boundaries of performance capture again. And, yeah really going for it. They also used um, Terry Notary as the movement coach. So he did Planet of the Apes and the Hobbit movies. Yeah. And so he, they've got the right people on that side of it. For, he, Terry Notary is a fantastic physical performer. He actually, he played Hellscream in like the background. Like, he's the guy who takes the sword off of um, Callan when just before Black Hand kills him. He's a, he's a major player in the Warcraft game. He's, he's on the front cover of the expansion. Um, the most recent one. To Warlords of Draenor. Which, interestingly enough, piece deals basically. with this, this, this time period. There's actually, is there time travel in that? Because it's an alternate timeline. Oh, it's an alternate apparently. timeline. Okay. I've not, I've not, I've not played the expansions at all. Because basically um, Thrall grows up to be a gladiator and he's horribly mistreated. This is the kid, the Moses kid orc. He's horribly mistreated by his human masters. And then, but he's extremely cunning and clever and he comes back and uh, I think he 
in this alternate timeline, he may even meet his father. And then, so I think he's the one in the, uh, if you watch the cinematic, when Gul'dan is cast down and the demon he tried to summon is beaten by the, uh, the orcs who have decided to, uh, rebel against their shitty leaders. I, I think it's uh, a combination of Thrall and Hellscream who are actually kind of leading the charge on this one. But again, there's so much kind of, well, this might happen later, rather than really firmly establishing some real, like, rather than 12 characters all vying for screen time, give us six. Like, either focus on one party or three from each. You know, three from each faction, and you go for two stories. You eight, yeah, they and they're both A stories. Rather than it being A story, B story, all these story threads about Midver and all that stuff, it you for a start, it really you can't go wrong with. I don't know why I'm saying this, like how to fix a Warcraft now that it's buggered, but maybe for a second one, go for a quest movie. I know it sounds crazy. Well, you've got theoretically, you've got a coming of age movie because you've got Thrall's yeah story, story of how Thrall rises to become. Um, Warchief of the Horde, yeah, which is where he is at the uh, in Warcraft Three. So, so I suppose if he rises up and then like joins forces with a troll and a tauren and an undead guy or forsaken or girl, forsaken, in fact, yeah, forsaken lady. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I and the dwarves in this are terrible. Are terrible. Oh. Now that we've seen oh. The Hobbit and they did the dwarves really, really well, the only exception being Billy Connolly on a fucking pig, when you get bring in a CGI dwarf, it like un, unless you're going to make him a character, they didn't have time to really like like bring out who I mean it was actually was it Magni Bronzebeard who gives him that I gun? Think it's supposed like, to be the yeah. dwarf king. It's a major player. But um, like ultimately, the, the the dwarves in The Hobbit were basically regular sized actors, shot in costumes which accentuated their wideness rather than their height, and then you know using scale doubles, and it's really effective. I, just throwing a CG dwarf in, I can understand completely the orc side of things. The orcs were triumphant in the way they were portrayed, and usually I'm I'm much more for people in prosthetics, but in this case, orcs worked great. But for the dwarves, you didn't have to do that. And if they're going to do a sequel, consider doing it Hobbit style. <laughs> then, but then you've got the Hoth. You've got you the consider doing it character. Hobbit style. <laughs> sorry, carry on. Sorry. You've got the, the one of the other races. The elves are the elves appear briefly, and they're done with prosthetics, and they don't look any better. Yeah, they're blood elves, though. Am I right? You are. Uh, uh, they didn't the high elves, elves are higher. In here. They're high elves at this point in the storyline. Oh, okay. The blood elves make them exist yet. That, that's down to okay. what happens but later in the story. Literally, I'm I'm sat there looking at them, going, well, "These guys are going to stab you in the back." They yeah, look shifty. This is all happening on one of the two continents that's in World of Warcraft, because yeah. the other continent they don't know about until Warcraft Three, basically. Yeah. So then that's yeah. why the night elves aren't in it. That's why the Tauren aren't in it. No, no. Ah, uh, okay, right. I'll give them that then. <sighs> but yeah, the, the 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 crazy ears that they have in the game is a stylist stylistic choice in the game because the game is heavily stylized and the movie does capture that heavy stylization. But in this one case, it just didn't feel like look right at all. They've got massive ears on, and they just look silly. It's it's weird that everything's very very serious, but it looks funny. So it it kind of reminds me of something that uh, Jeff Winger said in that uh, wonderful D and D episode of um, Community. Now I don't I, I don't know if you're being sarcastic here. Everything in this game is silly. The, one of the hallmarks of the Warcraft games, while it does have this very dense lore, the surface is really very amusing. 
in every single place you go to. There are gags and there is, there's lighthearted stuff. There's gadgets. There's, you know, amusing text, amusing quests. There are fun characters that you get to interact with. It's all over the place. Just would it have That's, killed yeah. them to, to be anything other than high, high, highfalutin fantasy? Where's high the humor? Yeah. Yeah. There are occasional moments where, like, Lothar will say something sarcastic or sort of, oh, blah, 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 blah. but it's so quiet, possibly just because of the sound mix, but possibly just because they didn't really want to focus on the, the dry humor. So when those moments happen, it feels like they've been punched up, which is where another scriptwriter comes in and they sort of add jokes here and there, which don't quite fit with the rest of it, just because if you can get the audience to titter. There was only one laugh the whole way through, I think, and that was actually, that was just a murloc. They drive, they, they drive past a yep. murloc and it goes, <laughs> and the three Warcraft fans in the cinema went, <laughs> one of them was me. Yeah. That and me. me laugh. <laughs> There's a Wilhelm scream in there as well, obviously. Yes. Uh, again, I think really there might have been more than one. in the drama, but uh, yeah. They did a couple, of, a couple of other nice things. They did not the game. They did. Um, there's a couple of sh- camera shots where the the angle and distance the camera is above the action is attempting to look like the RTS game. Mm-hmm. So you've got oh, these yes. big high high shots and lots of little people fighting. Yeah, which is quite a nice little touch. But <laughs> but it's but, there's yeah there's a few little touches and little sparks here and there. That, but turning the guard into a sheep also brought a titter. Now that I think about it. Mm. The sheep gets the credit. Yeah. Glenn Close doesn't get a credit, but the sheep gets a well, credit. Oh, the sheep gets a bigger dressing room than Glenn Close. <laughs> <laughs> the sheep appears in the credits as one take Charlie. Brilliant. Okay. Um, but, I mean, we actually went on uh, the Manor Pool a few months ago where we talked about if they were going to make a uh, Magic the Gathering film, um, which is oh, you know, still in the works, and probably going to be cancelled now. But if they were going to make it, and we, we we went through how you can take this dense law and keep like keep the tone reverent to that idea of the dense law and say it is there, it's not gone anywhere. These things did happen. These things will happen. But the lens that we're looking through uh, is lighthearted enough for you to enjoy yourself throughout the whole film. It doesn't have to be thigh-slapping, funny, ha-ha, and not everything has to be funny. Ultimately, it didn't have to be funny at all. What it did have to be is really engaging. There is no that was, there's, there is no excuse not to prize engaging above pretty much everything else. You know, if, if you're, well, if you if you're writing something that's like, it's important that people have this information, you fucked up already. Because, like, you, you go, right, okay, this information needs to be conveyed... What is the most engaging way I can do this? It's, this is script writing 101. As opposed to caption on screen. We're at Iron Forge. Yeah. Two minute scene in Iron Forge. Caption <laughs> on screen. screen. Stormwind. Stormwind. I <laughs> you took the deep run tram. I grinned to myself there because I was like, oh, I know the geography of this. It's different from the average fantasy film one sort of watching and going, I, I don't know where this stuff is. But the average person would watch it and go, where's Iron Forge? I think that was in the last Hobbit movie. None of that needs to be there. Yeah. That some of these things feel like they're in the movie purely because they're they've got in the mindset of we have to put things in that the fans will recognise or the fans won't like it. Yeah. And if the fans don't like it, they'll talk ill of us online, and then um, we're we're ruined. I was watching a pastime tournament this afternoon, and it's um, 
in, in, in the States and it's sponsored obviously clearly by the movie. There's lots of movie graphics and so on around the screen on the stream and so on because the movie's not out there till the tenth. The stream chat was a mixture of Americans saying, um, kind of not really sure about this. I don't know what it's going to be like. And people have obviously seen it going, it's rubbish, it's crap, don't bother. Yeah. And that was the stream chat was like, every time the advert whatever came on for it as part of the, the stream for this in this half tournament, the chat just immediately filled with people who've seen it saying, don't bother, don't bother. Oh. I wouldn't say don't these are to these are fans because ultimately, if you're a Warcraft fan, you're only going to get a chance to see a Warcraft movie on screen once. That's why, how I rationalized it to Sharon. I also thought when I came out the first time and Sharon met me, we were considering going to see it immediately afterwards again. And I thought, I can't watch it again. It's so ponderous to sit through. And I was, I was beginning to nod off in the middle end. Um, but to go back and see it again. But I knew that I couldn't just describe what had happened, what we've just said to Sharon, and expect her to be able to give much input. She would just be, oh, okay. And of course, you're both Warcraft, uh, World of Warcraft players originally, aren't you? So yeah. You, you, yeah. You, you would, this, is, this is where I'm slightly different. You know, that I still think it's worth watching. I've seen significantly worse movies than this, particularly based on video games. Mm. There's yeah, a lot wrong. Yeah. There's an awful lot wrong with it. But I don't necessarily think it's. It's been described by some reviewers as this generation's Battle for Your Dirt. That's really harsh. I mean, which is incredibly. I, harsh, I started off saying, you know, Battlefield Earth is a cover for a mind-altering cult, whereas World of Warcraft... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, because the Scientology will suck your money dry and they won't... Oh. <laughs> no, there's a difference. You can leave World of Warcraft at any time. Oh. No, there's a difference because if you leave Scientology, you will be shunned by the other... Oh. Okay, it's Battlefield Earth. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. I've seen Battlefield Earth. Battlefield Earth is a wretched hive of scum and villainy. There is nothing good about that film. It was totally multi buggered. It doesn't have the little shreds of like not the little shreds. The 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 chunks of good stuff in it. There are uh, this is like eating ice cream that tastes like salty crackers. You know, Okay, salty crackers. It's not really nourishing, but I suppose I've got to eat it. Oh, that was a chocolate chip. Mm, nice. I hate to use the food metaphor again. It's not like the sickening Transformers ice cream. It's not going to make you sick, but you're going to get tired of crackers after a while. It's very dry. Tortured food analogies. <laughs> I like food analogies. Because, I mean, ultimately, it's important to eat nourishing food. It's important, that, but it also needs to be tasty. It's important to watch nourishing films for the soul and the brain, but it also has to be tasty. But when you're watching a junk film that's only, you know, sugar and fat, it's like going to McDonald's. So, you know, this is why this is what we do at uh, um, uh, School of Movies. We watch the films that people pass off as McDonald's and go, no, actually, these are a really well done steak fajita. Um, <laughs> Not well done. I mean, you know, uh, medium rare. Uh, but, I mean, well prepared, high quality. Well, we're getting towards Five Guys territory. <laughs> no, 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 no. As in, like, this is not a steak fajita. Say, the Avengers is a steak fajita. This is, like I say, cracker chocolate chip ice cream. Or something. I, don't, I don't know. It's um, it's it's not going to nourish you much. There are far better films out there that tell a similar story. Um, and any other tropes that we haven't mentioned, Glenn? You're you're the expert on this. What did you send me this morning? Oh, white and grey morality. I hadn't really um, looked at this carefully before. But the white and white morality is where both sides are good and don't want to hurt each other. Civil war. White and grey morality would be that the humans are all squeaky clean and the orcs are um, a bit more complex. Um, it's really tough once all the, the good orcs are dead 
except for Garona, to consider yeah. the orcs to be anything other than just jackbooted conquering thugs who will follow the most powerful orc. Because they're going to get into this. They're going to get into doing the plot of the second game. Then it is straight up good versus evil. The second game, oh, and you don't get you don't get the nuances and come back into it again until Warcraft Three, where you got Arthas goes off and the humans are bad, and then the, and all that kind of stuff that kicks in. Do you know what? I would fucking abandon this side of the timeline, jump forward, and start at World of Warcraft phase. You know. Yeah, Just to that makes tell sense. a quest story from around the first vanilla, I believe it's called by the fans, World of Warcraft, with the second being something to do with the Burning Crusade or maybe Wrath of the Lich King. Well, the, well, the third being Wrath of the Lich King. Because then you can have him come in like Thanos and it, boom, all, boom, ends, boom. And, you know, Death Knights. Um, yeah, that, that would be my suggestion. So did we think them choosing to start with Warcraft, Orcs and Humans was the wrong yes, decision? Yes, we do. <laughs> Because I'll tell, I tell you right now, uh, you can sell the world the world much better if it's a beautifully um, crafted backdrop to a really compelling adventure rather than and what this ended up as. The best comparison I have is actually the Silmarillion. Loads of, and then the biddly bong and the googala and yeah. the da-da-da. There is sort of human things going on in the Silmarillion, even though they're mostly between elves. Um, uh, but, you know, some, some things involving, you know, passion and, and love and hate and sadness and regret, they're there, but there's these great big sweeping movements. And if your characters are subservient to the plot in terms of the story being told and the characters are just there to move that along, you've already failed. In terms of appealing to a mass audience, you've already failed. It has to be immediately gripping. You can tell the larger story over time, but you have to get people – you have to tell people, here's why you should like this world. It's got these guys in it. Do you love it yet? Guardians of the Galaxy, which I'll always come back to, is one of the best fantasies for years. It may look like a sci-fi, but it's a fantasy. It's fairies and elves and space magic. And it is superb for getting you to care about what's going on. When you did your podcast with Manipal, mm-hmm. one of the things that you talked about is that to adapt, they need to focus on character. Yeah. And um, I don't think what you meant by that was have as many as possible. <laughs> yeah, no. Focus on... Character, not characters. Like I said, like six really good characters always beat 12 underdeveloped characters. Always. I'm flicking through the IMDb yeah. list at the moment. So there are a lot of film. new characters in this movie. Yeah, there's, there's too many. There's uh, Anduin, Khadgar, have... Midver, King Lane, Lady Taria, Duratan, Garona, Gul'dan, Draka, Orgrim, Blackhand. Too many! And we're not even counting Alodi, the, uh, the the weird, like, misty ghost thing, and Sar- Sargaris, the demon that possessed Midva. I'd also say one of the biggest oversights is uh, not giving us any real background between uh, for Gul'dan and King Lane. These are the movers and shakers. These are the guys who affect all the change. You know, they send out their knights to do the dirty work, but these are the guys who are pushing things forwards. Why does Gul'dan want to keep doing what he's doing? We don't know anything about him. We don't know the beginning, we don't know the end. We just know that he doesn't have any honour. He's Mumra. And King... Mm, we've already talked about King Lane. Also, it's been pointed out quite pertinently that all the most important orcs, apart from Gul'dan and Garona, seem to be of the fairer, more white skin tone. And definitely all the green orcs are not named and are just cannon fodder. And yes, most of the human alliance, the ones who get to talk, are all the white guys. The rest are sort of there for background. 
So, yeah. Kind of feels like no one could do high fantasy ever again. And I really mean that. Like, you know, Game of Thrones is high fantasy, but then with the really dark and horrible and stabby and rapey stuff going on, so it's not high fantasy. It feels like people need something more than just very high and dry fantasy. I don't know. I don't know if they can... Because if they can't make it appeal to kids, the adults don't want to know if it's not got the sex and the really horrible violence. So you need an angle. You need humour or nastiness. I mean, it's feasible. You could just do write a really, really engaging high fantasy plot and uh, make sure that the film is filled with actors that people really want to see. Under those circumstances, maybe you could do high fantasy. It's almost a dead language now. It's like Latin. They had their their couple of chances to hit the screen, and and really, it's it's Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and what they seem to have neglected to realize is that you can always go back and tell more of the history of a world once you've established those characters and once you've established why people are engaged in this story. What you can't do is sit there telling history for three movies going, it's going to get good, it's going to get good, we swear. It will, you know, engage and improve. But you don't... You don't promise that people will be engaged later. That's Yeah, That's absolutely. insane. And in defense of the Silmarillion, Tolkien never wanted anyone to read that. Yeah, no, that's just notes. That's just him world building. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Where Star Wars starts in the middle. Yeah. Technically, you could argue it starts at the end. Lots of stuff's already happened by the time New Hope begins. So. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And then you, you find out what that stuff was slowly over the course of the movie. Mm. Anyhow. Okay. Anything else on on Warcraft? Because I don't think we're going to get that sequel. I think this is going to be considered a failure, and they won't go back to it for a long, long time. The studio expectation yeah, is kind of interesting on this oh, one. Oh, yeah? What is it? At the moment, I, I, I can't remember where I read it now, but they said um, the expectation is the US will be less than 15% of the total gross they're expecting. Because they're going to sell it big in uh, across the world. They, they, I mean, the fact that it's launched internationally. Yeah. First, it seems to me that what they they're going for this is um. I was reading it might have been might have been Movie Bob said it, probably not actually, but some somebody I was reading anyway said that Universal did better than expected with Jurassic World. Yeah. So essentially, they're in a position with this to just put it out to die. Oh Jesus! This 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 is something they can write off. They've seen the reviews. They can back away from a lot of the marketing push, having seen the reviews because they've made the money on Jurassic World to cover it. The international one has a longer title. It's called Warcraft The Beginning. It's not called that in the States. It's just called Warcraft in the States. Yeah. I mean, you don't see that Warcraft The Beginning on screen at any point, apart from the BBFC title card at the beginning. So I don't know why they did that. And it also meant that lots of reviewers could go, Warcraft The Beginning, more like Warcraft The End. <laughs> it does seem so presumptuous, doesn't it? I've seen that in several reviews. Yeah. So obviously people are borrowing each other's jokes now. Or just because it's the easiest, simplest yeah. joke to make, especially when you're being snooty. And I, I understand that... I was going to say, they've been doing that for years. I can understand why reviews would be snooty of this. It's very easy to make fun of a very serious high fantasy. We actually don't get that many of these, if you think no. about it. We don't get Not many anymore. that attempt this uh, anymore. I mean, like, The Hobbit failed so spectacularly and manifestly. It, it's really hard to, cons- to see high fantasy succeeding anymore. I read one review that said that 
they they could see it being you know sitting there sitting back watching it on DVD as a double bill with Krull or Hawk the Slayer or yeah that, yeah. that, that kind yeah. of it's 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 silly and enjoyable and it may well find a bigger audience on DVD particularly if it ends up being a longer cut on DVD because yeah. you know if it's if it's more it's almost um I'm reminded of um Square doing the Final Fantasy VII movie they did yeah Aventure Aventure yeah which they targeted clearly just at the fans yeah. and that did way 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 more business on dvd than it did any other in any other form yeah one of the things that surprised me about this is that blizzard didn't do the whole thing themselves i mean if you've seen the the overwatch shorts they've done that's about an hour's worth of material that they've done entirely by themselves that they could easily extend out i don't know i just i don't know how much work went into those obviously quite a lot but uh, an overwatch animated feature they could totally do that it's totally within their abilities to do that and i think there'll probably be an audience for that hell yeah those are really good shorts (laughs) they they are incredibly good even what what was that one that um the the intro to one of the world of warcraft games that we saw that had the orc going up against that was warlords of draenor if i i got in my head where after we'd seen that 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 was actually part of the the film film. And oh, if, if the film, I, I, there was part of me that was actually waiting for that to happen and then about halfway through went, oh, yeah, that's not going to happen in this. But it, extend that and I'd, I'd watch that. That was doing quite well, I thought. I also- Have you seen the intro movie for the um, the newest expansion that starts towards the end of this year? They showed it at BlizzCon. And oh, um, it's- are we talking about uh, Legion? Burning, burning, burning Legion, yeah. Oh, no, no, the, it's the- just Legion. Burning, you're thinking ah. of Burning Crusade. Which yeah, has they, they, showed, they showed the, the intro to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's probably on YouTube somewhere. And is that the one with the airships? Yeah, yeah, all the airships and yeah. the, the, the big scar, and, and he falls into the water and all that. It's like, why aren't they doing the movie themselves? Good, co- good point. Why isn't the movie all CG? Why does it have to be live action? Ultimately, the best parts of it were CG. <laughs> was the performance capture and the live action bits Absolute, were the worst the parts capture, of it. The performance capture and the backgrounds which were all computer-generated, were great. I have very little to complain about with any of those except for the dwarves. I'll tell you why, though. Because you, me, all three of us know that there is a stigma attached to animation which makes uh, adults think, well, that's for kids, isn't it? Adults will not go and see a kid's uh, animated film, and it's too violent for really your, your, your small kids. You're going to get a 12A for it. Yeah. Same as this does. Yeah. So that there aren't that many 12A-rated uh, family films that are animated. Isn't that fucked? Because then you're going to have to justify, well, it's got to be, uh, it's if it's an animated and it doesn't really look real, well, then are you going to start downrating shitty CG because it doesn't look real? I had a <laughs> conversation with somebody at work, actually, about um, uh, Jungle Book, and um, they referred to it as the live-action Jungle Book. And I, I went, actually, if you think about it, the only thing that's live-action <laughs> is Mowgli. Is Mowgli. And, the and rest the of it is effectively animated. Yeah. I guess the best thing that comes out of Warcraft is that ILM have up their game. Yeah. yeah. So more mov- other movies will benefit from that. Yeah, true. And I, I want to see um, Toby Kebbell really just, you know, step up and at least share things with Circus in, in terms of, like, people, him, him being a known guy. So, you know, people can go, yeah, he was, yeah, Circus was Caesar, he was Cobra, you know? <laughs> okay, um, I think that'll do. Thank you so, yeah. so much, Glenn. This has been great. Yeah, it's it's been fun. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's, a diff- it's a difficult one to talk about, because I think most people who do go see it will just do the, oh, that was rubbish, and dismiss it, and that'll be it. They, they won't sit and try and work out why. I think a lot of people just go, eh, and move on, unfortunately. 
I'm not sure if I really got across how dreadfully frustrated I was. Like I walked out of there thinking, oh, not so much across. I didn't like that, but <laughs> I'm pissed off that no one's going to like that. Because I yeah. want people to like Warcraft and Warcraft films, and they did not do themselves many favors at all. So it's not, I mean, you, you've got some video game movies that are just straight up bad. Yeah. So things like um, the, the recent Street Fighter one, not the, the funny Raul Julia hmm. one, but the more recent one. You mean one. the Chun-Li one? Yeah, which is it's just it's just bad. There's nothing redeeming about that at it's all. Terrible. But yeah. it, this isn't this 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 unfortunately doesn't even manage to be a Mortal Kombat, which is entertainingly bad and knows it's being bad. I mean, clearly everyone who worked on that movie knew what they were doing and knew that well, they weren't making a great movie. So, and that can change how it comes across. When, when it's been made by people who clearly don't give a crap, have nothing invested in the property, and basically just went, let's have a laugh. You can kind of let that slide. One of the things that, that hit me about this is how sad I was for the, the people who've worked on it because they're clearly, you know, there are people who love this world and they want to be able to sell it and they want to be able to, um, to, to bring it to people who haven't played the games. And it's not going to do it, that. Man. Yeah. And it's a little bit heartbreaking, really. Yeah. Now, one of the key reasons I was so looking forward to this film is that it shares some similarities with the fifth book in the New Century series. That's right, folks, it's plug time. The Princess Thieves. I was hoping for something in Warcraft very character-based and very thought-provoking, something funny and thrilling that, amongst other things, was very female-empowering and took J.R.R. Tolkien's dismissively black portrayal of the orc race and turned it on its head to make them a relatable people. So the fact that it's some of these things was reassuring. But that is what I hope I've done with The Princess Thieves. It's a far lighter comedy than any of the four previous books, which comes as a welcome change after the dark political chicanery of Arlington. It's a swashbuckler and an adventure and closer in tone to Guardians of the Galaxy, only with an unmistakable British quirkiness. Here's a clip. You blackguards! How dare you! Do you know who I am? Of course we know who you are. We've been planning this for days. I'll have the ring and the pouch. No, not that one. The one in your underclothes. How do you know about that one? London has eyes at every window and ears at every door. You remember that when you're cutting the paychecks of your next round of servants. Turn over our purses, Tarquin. Can't you see this dandy highwayman is in control here? Smart lady. And if I may say so, fairer than you deserve, Tarquin. Necklace and brooch, please, milady. Aren't you afraid they'll catch you? Me? No, I'm quick as a fox and twice as cunning. Watchmen come and rob. Ugh, yuck! It's a filthy great archer. Daddy, make it go away faster. We're going. My daddy says all you people do is steal anyway. So I suppose I shouldn't be too very surprised. Is that so? Hey, daddy, he took Veronica. Give her a doll back. No. I want to see his head on a spike. Don't give her a doll back. Wasn't gonna. Be quiet, Imogen. He's a seasoned cutthroat who will kill us all, didn't you hear him? You two I kill. This one, I'd probably eat. No one's getting eaten today. I should play a card to open You vile brute. Stay away from my daughter. How can someone as charming as you associate with such a repulsive creature? 
Madam, you are talking about my closest companion. Besides which, I might ask you the same question. Twice. Stealthy thieving green skin. <laughs> right, well, that's us. Good luck raising this one. We're off. And that starts this coming week with episode one of The Princess Thieves. Use the hashtag on Twitter, hashtag Princess Thieves. Subscribe now on iTunes and get in on the ground floor because in half a year when the story is complete, the free podcast will be converted into an audio book and sold through Bandcamp and other outlets as well as being adapted into a book for Kindle, which is what's happened now to the previous four. You can't go back and listen to the original four for free now. you got to buy them. So uh, if you want – but speaking of, Princess Thieves is a really great one to start off on its own. You don't need to have heard the previous four. It works as its own adventure. If you want a gripping, riotous, industrial fantasy serial for your ears, here's where you'll find it. And right now is the time to start. Thank you very much to Glenn Watts for coming on our show. Thank you very much for having me. And thank you very much to Sharon, as always. Thank you. And this is Level 70 Elite Tauren Chieftain with I Am Murloc. So, I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And... School's out. School's out.
Raise your flippers to the sky 